Chapter Sixteen of Laughter Limited. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. Laughter Limited by Nina Wilcox Putnam. Chapter Sixteen. Nichols says Greg Strickland leaning against the steeple of the Metropolitan Tower. Nichols is in a class by himself. Yeah, he'd have to go a long ways back before he met anyone, I says, sitting down on a corner of Trinity Churchyard, which happened to be alongside of it. And he sure does shake a wicked megaphone. We have been working three weeks on the mischief maker, I at one hundred berries a week, and I'll say earning it too. But for the moment I had put down the scrub brush and mop and pail of suds which was the principal ingredients of my costume, and Strick and I was parked on a jumbled up discarded New York set, waiting for our call while Nicky struggled with our star. Trixie was playing a legitimate part for the first time, and he was sure handling her wonderful. "'Say, listen, Bonnie, you are no slouch in this picture yourself,' Stricky declared. "'Huh,' says I, because that was the most cutting remark I could think of. "'Really, you are a wonderful actress,' says Stricky earnestly, "'and you've got a big future.' "'Well, of course, that is the best compliment one person in Hollywood can pay another, "'and so I weakened a little toward him.' Why do you keep away from me all the time, Bonnie, he says then. Do you realize that this is actually the first time you have given me the chance to speak to you alone? What's wrong, eh? For a moment I was knocked so cold by that I couldn't answer. And then I found my voice and went right for him. After all the grief you made for me, I says, you dare to pull a line like that? After the lies you told me to get me out here? What lies, says Stricky? What are you getting at? I told you that you could get seventy-five a week in pictures, and you are getting a hundred. That's so, I had to admit, but it's not the point. You get me perfectly. I'd give anything in the world to get you, he says, lowering his voice. Bonnie, I'm simply cuckoo about you. The follow-up I had all prepared died on my lips. Stricky was playing a sort of light, heavy part in this piece, and with his makeup of smart afternoon clothes, his hair like varnished leather, the powder on his face giving it the smooth beauty of a child's, he was enough to wreck anybody's peace. You are going to be a big hit, girlie, he went on, and worth a lot of money. Everybody on this lot is strong for your work. You ought to have heard old Benny himself at the rushes yesterday. He stood up and hollered. Oh, Stricky, I says. I know I've been sort of a rotter in some ways, Stricky went on, but after all, you would never have come out here except for me. And if I exaggerated about myself a little back in Stonybrook, it was because I was wild over you, even then. You are going far, girlie, and I don't want you to leave me behind. I won't, Stricky, I says, all milk and water inside myself. You know I won't, and I will be friends from now on. I'll make you more than friends, sweetheart, says Stricky. And then he kissed my hands and dropped them. And get this, there was no camera on us either. It was romance with a capital row, all right. Every bitter thought or feeling I had about him was wiped out, and the old attraction which I had been fighting off all this time came back with a rush. But we couldn't say anything more just then, because Nichols come roaring up, his curls shaking with excitement like a angry lion's mane. Why the silver mount doesn't go broke is more than I can tell, he growled. Here I ask for a camel for the Egyptian sequence for ten this morning sharp, and what happens? Is the camel here? No. He's out on a lecture tour with the blue law boobs or something. Anyway, nobody knows anything about him. The blessed saints preserve us. We are paying Trixie three hundred and fifty dollars a working day, and because some ass forgot to get the camel, she can't work. Not to mention the rest of you. It makes me sick. 
Thank heaven it's not my money, says Strick. Bah, says Nicky, the same thing runs through every detail of the business. And then I catch hell from the office because it costs a hundred thousand dollars to make a fifty thousand dollar picture. Look at yesterday, too. Two hundred atmosphere people at ten a day each on that ballroom set from nine in the morning until three thirty in the afternoon, and not a foot of film could be shot because the fuses went bluey and the electricians were all somewhere else. Then, when I actually got fuses in again, the crowd looked so dog-tired that I will probably have to make the scene over when I see the rushes. Why don't you tell them at the office, I says. Tell them hell, says he. What's the use when jobs are given out through friendship instead of on a basis of merit? How long will it last? Heaven only knows. Art is a business, little Bonnie, and until the producers find that out, they will have only this half-satisfactory hybrid, that is art by accident and business by luck. But I thought art was all loose ends, Nicky, I says. Meals any old time, getting up late, acting as you please, and being generally unreliable. Say, listen, child, says he, what have you been doing these last few weeks? Getting to bed early, coming on the lot, rested at nine prompt, sometimes at eight, working like a slave all day and going home dead to the world, right? I nodded. A chore, says he, that's what it's been, a tiresome grind, playing the same scene over and over, waiting around with your nerves and your patience all worn out. Yes, and if you haven't produced one of the finest bits of art I ever saw, I'll eat the film. Art, little Bonnie, means working like hell. Well, thanks, of course, I says. But who is to blame in most pictures, Nicky? Easy money is to blame, says he gloomily. That is, if any one thing is to blame. Pictures are so big. It takes so many people to make a picture. The story writer, the scenario editor, the continuity writer, director, architect, builders, electricians, the actors, of course, the chap who writes the titles, the technical man who cuts the film. It is, in my opinion, absolutely impossible to state that any one of these people is most responsible for the merit of the finished product. The only person in the outfit whose relation to the picture is absolutely defined is the producer, the man in the office, the money man. And he is nothing in the world but a middleman. The rest of us are all merging constantly. We are indispensable strands of the same web. It would fall apart without any one of us, you see. There. Let's go eat, and by the time we are through, that damn camel may have shown up. So I and Strick and the boss went and ate avocado salad and coffee in the big cafeteria across the way, because we was naturally all of us dieting, even myself, now that I was in the pictures, for although I had not put on any weight, Mummer was already insisting on me not taking any chances. Well, anyways, there we sat and dieted amidst all the other dieting hams and cameramen and authors and atmosphere and so forth, both in costume and out, with the clatter of knives and plates, and the usual blue haze of cigarette smoke of both sexes, but my mind was not on what I was doing. I couldn't help but realize how true every word Nicky had spoke was, now that he had mentioned it. Right now I could think of a dozen people on our lot who was there because of being somebody's sweetie or cousin or particular friend. Why, even I myself was there because of Trixie having brought me and said I was a friend of hers. And if I had made good, why, that was a mere happy accident. Not that Nicky would have hired me if I had been a clown, because Nicky was one of them magnificent exceptions to the rule in pictures that have saved pictures from the scrap heap. But generally speaking, it would have been that way. Naturally, I thought then of Axel, who had been hounding me to introduce him to Nicky. Axel was a natural-born extra, and hadn't the brains to be anything else ever. Not that he knew it, of course, and for a few moments I thought, well, now I am in an awkward jam. And then I decided, well, this is a exceptional case. Axel has been an awful good friend to me, and I really owe him something. 
so what harm to bring him on the lot and introduce him to nicky and simply say nothing about him except only this is a personal friend of mine he's got a big future and etc and anything you can do for him why i will appreciate it well anyways after lunch the camel had come but it was so late that nicky says go on home little bonnie you are not in the camel sequence and we will not get around to your bit today which is far more consideration than most directors show and they will usually let you wait around just on general lack of principle well i went home like he said feeling very glad and happy because now i had somebody to moon over and every girl needs it and stricky sure could vamp me when he tried also i was glad to go home to mummer even if we was still living in that horrible place on vine street with mrs snifter mummer had insisted that we should stay on because of it being so cheap until we buy you a decent wardrobe says adele this is where we stay and the money goes on your back they say clothes don't make the man but i always say hats of a feather flock together and that ended any moving for the present one luxury adele did allow us though and that was a phonograph to be sure it was merely a fifty dollar one and the only period case it had was the installment period but she also got some a1 jazz numbers for it and i felt it kind of established us in a community where no phonograph was almost a bigger disgrace than no toothbrush well anyways this day i am telling you about i come home from the studio and rushed up the stairs to the tune of kick me around on the hardwood the sweet strains of which was eliminating from our flat and phonograph and found that mummer had a surprise for me mummer always had a surprise for me even if it was only a please remit slip but as a general rule it was a hot spice cake a new veil or a jar of some sort of make-up specialty that she thought would improve me and this time the surprise was my own name in print look dear she says the very minute i got inside see what i cut out of wids and also from the mirror this morning and it was this way that i seen my first press notices some notices they was too sweet daddy no others has ever looked so big to me and this is what they says among the cast supporting trixie truman in the mischief maker a comedy by harold grayton which will be the charming little star's next release are helen stroll robert strickland ellen moore tom wells bonnie delane hick trowbridge and the famous silvermount collie dog snap the picture is being directed by john a nicky nichols quite a long notice i'll say and the fact that both notices was exactly alike and had therefore probably been sent out from the silvermount's own office hung no crepe in my young life i was in the paper in the professional trade papers and that was enough for me and when on top of all this mummer actually produced the same identical clipping from that very morning's los angeles times motion picture column i felt like a million dollars oh mummer i says i'm really in now watch me soar i'd rather see you driving a tin lizzie along a safe road at fifteen an hour says mummer than to see you go up in any aeroplane you'd stay where you was going longer a day or two later adele and axel and me read another kind of notice yet and it come out of a newspaper which a person couldn't see nor put their hands on it but which is a real news sheet just the same and one is published on every lot i'll say it is and by this i mean that invisible daily the low down which spreads news around in motion picture circles probably more quickly than in any other branch of life when anything big happens on a lot everybody knows it in advance as you might say and it's a funny thing how often these low-down rumors will turn out to be correct it was a press notice of this brand that axel handed us at breakfast one morning when the mischief maker was all but finished there was a couple of retakes to be made and then we would be through i say we because axel was by now working in the picture on account of my having introduced him to nicky 
and Nicky had of course hired him for the atmosphere crowd. Nicky had merely talked to Axel for three minutes and then said, Yes, I can use you in the ballroom scene, in a tone which left no hope. Nicky was certainly different from most directors, even then. Well, anyways, Axel was working for Silvermount, and as usual Mummer was giving both of us a 7.30 hot cup of coffee before going to work, just like in the old days, when Axel sprung his piece of information. I understand you ban Big Benny's best bet now, Bonnie, says Axel. That's so, says I. Fat chance, Axel. Why, I'm just a feeder for Trixie. I've seen the rushes, and I don't know, they look rotten to me. I'm a fright in the makeup, dirty servant girl. I heard the camera fella Joe say you bane absolutely something new. Mummer and I exchanged a significant female look at that, because being considered something new is going some in pictures. Axel went on. I heard you ban offered a six-pitcher contract, says he. I hear every place you ban in strong. Nichols wanted your name should be on the cast, but Truman got sore. I tank you walk away with that picture sure, Bonnie. Again Mummer and me exchanged a wireless. Of course we knew that I had made pretty good, and in the rushes I had seen that I had done about what they wanted of me. I had stumbled over pails of water, fallen off of stepladders, cooked a bowl of pet goldfish, and other humorous incidents until it was a wonder I had a bone left in my body, and me with no personal insurance either. I had done all this without cracking a smile before the camera, and indeed, why would I smile? But Nicky seemed to think it was wonderful that I didn't because naturally every time I got hurt, the rest of the people on our set, including Nicky himself, would set up a roar. Right up to the end of the picture I kept my face. Then when I heard the bad news at the end of the story, why I smiled, the smile you all know so well. Well anyways, I had tried to do what they wanted, as I say, but up to now, with the job all but finished, nobody had even delicately hinted at a re-engagement. Not a soul had murmured that sweet word contract in my willing ear, and so far as I knew, by the end of the week, I would again be admiring the boulevards from morning until night. That's a swell contract you tell about, Axel, says I, but it's a stranger to me. Where do you get this dope, eh? Pretty straight, he says. A feller told me that Joe told him, and Joe, he bang got it from Ed, the operator of the head's private projection room. Ed heard Big Benny told the production manager to tell Nichols to sign you up. Oh, dearie, I'll bet you it's true, says Mummer. Why, that's first-hand almost. Now if they send for you, send for me first. Be sure to, Bonnie. When I was Helena Holman's mother, it was me got her twice the money they offered her at first. Always take your mother with you, hun, when you go about a contract, and look perfectly blank and round-eyed while I talk. There's something about a picture actress's mother makes producers fairly sick the very minute they see her coming, and they at once give better terms in despair. Sweet daddy, I only hope you have the chance to scare em, says I. But I don't know, I have already got the I'm almost out again blues. But Axel was pretty near right. For that very day, things began to move for me, and move fast. I was on the lot early, all made up, bucket of suds, mop, rumpled hair and all, for the retake of a long shot. This was being left to a boy named Louie, one of Nicky's assistant directors. It was an unimportant shot which had merely had something wrong in the background, or Nicky would have done it himself, but this day he didn't appear to be at the studio. Well, we went out on the location, Louie and me, and he made the retake a couple of dozen times on account of being desperately afraid of not pleasing Nicky and consequently shooting about 600 feet in order to get a 60-foot scene. And when we come in around noon, I was only too glad to crawl up to my little cubby of a dressing room and change, my mind less on my art than on a glass of milk and a chicken sandwich. 
i was just reveling in the thought of them the way a person will when eddie the callboy knocked on the door and says i am wanted on the phone and i went thinking probably it was mummer to say don't forget to stop for the laundry on your way home or some such excitement but when i says yes it is me speaking this is what i heard miss delane this is mr silvermount says the voice well naturally for a minute i was jolted and then i come down to earth oh sure it is i says thinking of course it was Stricky or someone trying to be funny. Yes, Benny, dear, I suppose you are offering me a contract or something. Well, I couldn't accept, thanks, unless it's very good. Muro and everyone is showering me with offers, kid. I got no doubt of it, says the voice, kind of dry and short-like. But I guess you and me can arrange satisfactory terms, Miss Delane, if you drop around by my office about 2.30 this afternoon. My dear Mr. Silvermount, I says, very affected, I really don't know do I care to continue acting at all, say child i'd rather you'd offer me a real lunch than a fake contract say miss delane are you crazy or what says the voice there is nothing fake about this contract and i got it a luncheon engagement already a terrible cold sensation came over me at that i don't believe i ever felt sicker no not even when i had the measles don't tell me you really are mr silvermount i says weakly who else says the voice impatiently and you can come at two thirty or not just as you please End of chapter 16